there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's interview guests are Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, two stars of the phenomenal show Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Kyle Krause, Kate Abdo, and Jesse Marsh, along with many others, so check those interviews out. It would be huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. We'll have Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt on soon, but I want to start with our loss this week of the legend, Diego Armando Maradona. Argentina is my adopted country, and I got to attend Maradona's testimonial match in 2001 at La Bombonera, the home of Boca Juniors, and I have never experienced anything before or since quite like it, just a visceral love between a people and their hero. I got to see Maradona play in person on two occasions, both at Foxborough, Mass. during the 1994 World Cup, and I will forever appreciate that opportunity. I encourage everyone who's interested to see Asif Kapadia's brilliant documentary, Diego Maradona, which is on HBO in the U.S. For now, I wrote a short obituary for Maradona, and here it is. It is an accepted truism of modern soccer that... Unlike in the five-on-five world of basketball, the 11-on-11 nature of football makes it nearly impossible for a single superstar to take over a game and lead his team to a championship. In fact, data research shows that soccer tends to be a weakest link sport, which is to say that you're only as good as your worst player on the field. If there is a singular exception, however, It is Diego Armando Maradona's performance at the 1986 World Cup in Mexico. In the history of the Men's World Cup, which has now been contested 21 times, no player has ever lorded over a single tournament the way Maradona did that year by leading Argentina to its second title. Maradona, the flamboyant and controversial legend who died of a heart attack on Wednesday at age 60, will forever be frozen in time at Mexico City's Estadio Azteca as the 25-year-old genius who confounded the best efforts of West Germany, Belgium, and England and lifted an otherwise ordinary Argentine team to glory. During the same game, a 2-1 quarterfinal victory against England, Maradona scored two goals four minutes apart that could be described as the greatest and most notorious World Cup goals of all time. On the first, Maradona leaped in the air and beat English goalkeeper Peter Shilton to the ball, surreptitiously and illegally using his left fist to punch the ball into the goal. Maradona would later say the goal had been scored by La Mano de Dios, and it was forever known as the Hand of God goal. But Maradona's second goal that day was a distillation of all the qualities, superhuman ball control, next-level speed of thought, and the sheer audacity of his imagination that made him perhaps the sport's greatest genius. Receiving the ball in his own half near midfield, Maradona spun and flicked the ball with his left foot to elude two defenders, then embarked on a glorious 60-yard run at speed never touching the ball with his right foot, 
beating four more hapless English interlopers before sliding the ball past Chilton into the net. The television call from Argentine commentator Victor Hugo Morales remains indelible. What planet did you come from? Maradona added two more goals to beat Belgium 2-0 in the semifinals and the assist on Argentina's game-winner in a 3-2 classic against West Germany in the final, sealing his place in the lore of the sport. Maradona would end up playing in four World Cups, losing in the final to West Germany in 90 and being thrown out of USA 94 when he failed a doping test. Meanwhile, his greatest exploits at club level came in Italy at Napoli, which Maradona captained to the club's first league titles in 1987 and 90. But Maradona's tumultuous time in Italy came to an end after he failed a drug test for cocaine and faced a 15-month suspension from 1991 to 92. Maradona's drug use and weight gain led to a pattern of health scares over the years, including multiple occasions when he was near death but survived. Yet Maradona's dark side and human frailties only seemed to endear him more to an Argentine public that anointed him a cultural deity among the likes of Eva Perón and the tango singer Carlos Gardel. Raised in the Buenos Aires shantytown of Villa Fiorito, Maradona rose to the closest position in sports to the king of the world and then tumbled dramatically off its pedestal. It is a peculiar aspect of Argentine public life that Argentines have always adored Maradona far more than Brazilians have loved Pelé. The two are inextricably linked as the greatest men's soccer players of the 20th century. Pelé won three World Cups to Maradona's one, but Maradona hit loftier heights in 1986 than Pelé did in any of his World Cups. Ultimately, a fan's choice of one player over the other reveals not just a sports preference, but a general worldview. For what it's worth, Maradona and Pelé clearly had differing perspectives on the United States. While Pelé played for the New York Cosmos in the NASL from 1975 to 77 and visited the U.S. frequently, Maradona reveled in his disdain of Uncle Sam and his support of leftist leaders from Cuba's Fidel Castro to Venezuela's Hugo Chavez. For many years, Maradona's drug record prevented him from gaining admission to the U.S. Unlike Pelé, who never became a coach, Maradona had a checkered career as a manager that never came close to matching his playing achievements. His most memorable coaching tenure lasted from 2008 to 2010 with the Argentine national team and its superstar Lionel Messi, who was always as reticent as Maradona was voluble. It was a poor match. Messi never appeared comfortable with Maradona, who was unable to put together a tactical game plan that unleashed Messi's talents for the national team. While Maradona regularly won the press conference during the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, his rudderless Argentina was throttled by Germany 4-0 in the quarterfinals, wasting Messi at the height of his powers. Yet for as combative and rude as he could be, Maradona will always be known for his unparalleled love affair with the ball. It is no coincidence that one of his most popular highlight videos, with millions of views on YouTube, has no game highlights at all. Instead, it's a three-minute video of Maradona warming up by himself before a 1989 game, shoes untied, 
oblivious of the camera, performing casually jaw-dropping tricks with the ball to the soundtrack of the opus song Live is Life. Maradona is 28 years old in the video, but he still exudes the simple joy of a boy with his ball. That feeling, which he may have possessed more deeply than any human to live on this planet, is universal, timeless. This episode is brought to you by a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z, and you can watch all the action in Spain's La Liga and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from France, Portugal, Brazil, and Argentina. Plus, Fanatis has the Copa Libertadores with some terrific round of 16 return legs this Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports in English and Spanish, Gold TV, and many more. And it only costs $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or going to fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. I can't tell you how excited I am about our next two guests. They are two stars of the Apple TV Plus show, Ted Lasso, which has been one of the true joys and saving graces of the year 2020 and has already been renewed for two more seasons. Jason Sudeikis plays Ted Lasso and Brendan Hunt plays Coach Beard. They have both been heavily involved in creating, developing, and writing the show as well. Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on what you've done. I am a giant fan of it. Thank that's you. This is awesome. Appreciate us. that. Yeah, you know, we're going to get down in the in the in the football <laughs> soccer proper. And Grant, just so you know, I've been you know reading you for gosh, what twenty something years. So wow, this is this is reciprocally uh, exciting at this end. Just so you know, fantastic. Well, you're wearing a, a pretty sweet U.S. jersey. Um, from i'm trying to that was the gold was that the gold cup jersey there it was yeah and this is I, of the, in the last like at least 10 years this is 100 percent my favorite jersey and the fact that it was only a gold cup you know one summer in and out is a is a real bad choice by the, <laughs> by the people in beaverton i hope they reconsider fair enough agreed on that so i, I want to start we're we're all from the midwest here uh brandon's from chicago originally jason grew up on the Kansas side of Kansas City, went to Shawnee Mission West High School. I went to Shawnee Mission East High School in the same area. Uh, one thing that stands out about your show is its kindness, which for me at least isn't a hackneyed kindness or a calculated kindness. It just seems earnest and, and deeply felt. And while it's not totally unique to the Midwest, I'm wondering if you think there is something that is Midwestern about the kindness in the show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for the simple fact that, you know, um, I'm from there. Uh, Brendan's from the Chicago area, Chicagoland area. Um, 
And then, and then, you know, our buddy Joe Kelly, who we, you know, did the commercials with, you know, is is he's from Georgia, so there's a southern kindness there too. But uh, but yeah, I, I I believe it is it is rooted in that for sure, um, because it's it's sort of all, you know, spins off of Ted, you know, the character of Ted. Yeah, I'd agree with that, hundred um, percent. And like, it's you know, we weren't necessarily trying to uh, depict Midwestern kindness per se, but but we yeah, just Ted became sort of this way and this guy, and we're and we're drawn off, not made up fancy nice people but you know actual people we met you know i so I'm, I'm from chicago but i went to school at uh illinois state down in normal so um you know i i had my and let's just say i was not expeditious about a four-year degree uh so i had i had my fill of uh you know the prairie version of midwestern kindness and yeah it's all just finally finally uh being put to use but yeah but like my like like my dad is very similar to ted lasso in the sense that he could you know he can carry on a conversation with a brick wall, you know, um, much less, you know, an actual other human being and, 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 you know, ask questions as much as, you know, answer his own questions <laughs> and, you know, he can, he can be a little bit of a chatterbox. Um, but, but in a, in a loving, in a, in a loving, sweet way, because he, he definitely, um, yeah, that's, and he's from Chicago, but, but, you know, he's been in Kansas, you know, almost, yeah, almost my entire life. So almost, you know, 40 plus years. So, it's uh, it's it's definitely part of him by this point. Now, a lot of soccer fans remember the Ted Lasso skits on NBC back in 2013, which you shot with Tottenham, and those were really funny. But I'll be honest, they in no way prepared me for the full Ted Lasso series. And somehow, in 30 minute episodes, which isn't a lot of time, you guys have been able to present these fully developed characters that people really care about. They're and just aren't any one note characters in this show. And, and, and I'm wondering how on earth were you able to do that? Oof. I mean, by, by trying really hard to do exactly that. I mean, that's the first thing that like that more so than the Midwestern kindness. That was the intention was to, um, you know, have, have a, have a group of characters, but then have them all have a different side of themselves than maybe, you know, they would stereotypically, you know, because we're, you know, we're drafting off of years and years of great sports films of just a great ensemble, you know, workplace comedies. And so when you have that exposition, you know, at, you know, at your back, you, you can sort, you can, you can, you can coast on it for a little bit, but, but then, yeah, it's nice to, you know, I don't know planes, but you know, make you know, make the thing go a little to bank to the left or bank to the right. I don't know what that's called. The, the flipper? No, it's probably not the flipper. <laughs> Industry term. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just you know, I always loved on the British Office how how it really that show and it's fourteen episodes. You know, it's it's six first season, six second season, and then it's Christmas special, which ultimately was like fourteen. Uh, how it how it honored like you know. M- micro arcs i would call it you know because if you get to know someone really well even in your real life and you know that that you know they've gone through a bad breakup and like the girl that broke up with them is someone that they're just hung up on you know even though people might be like i don't know if that's the best thing for you the second your friend like you know sends her call to voicemail is like heroic you know, but you have to know that person well enough to know that's heroic. It's not heroic in the sense of like Avengers style, but if you get to know a character and lean into him, uh, he or she, then then those those small things can be quite um, you know exciting and thrilling. 
for for the person going through it and the, and the people that have gone through it that are empathizing with it and from people that are you know watching the show just as an escape. And I think the gateway drug for making the characters fuller was probably Rebecca. Uh, tell me if this tracks you, Jason, but you know we sat down after the first two commercials had done really well. We we went to Jason's place in Brooklyn, me and him and Joe Kelly, and we tried to map out a season and and one of the first questions was why is Ted uh, doing this and, and Jason already had that, you know, he's, well, he's, he's, uh, he's going through divorce at home and he gets pulled out there. Okay. But why would he be hired? Okay. A, a lady, uh, she's going through divorce and, and she's trying to get back at her husband. Okay. But then why is she doing that? And it, you know, we kind of, you're always placing people, but then really from, from jump, it was like, but, but why, you know, and, and that kind of questioning, you know, hopefully has led been one of the things that led to making the characters a little more, uh, full than, you know, because obviously there's a major league um, element uh, to our plot, um, but major league doesn't spend as much time with with the you know so-called villain, uh, and we spend a little bit more, and we get a fuller picture of her. And I think, yeah, I think that's probably was the gateway drug towards uh, making everybody more than an avatar. And even the owner of major league was it wasn't revenge. Her, her husband dies, and she just wants to move to Miami. She doesn't want to live in Cleveland anymore. It, it wasn't you know th- this was the, and and being set up to fail is you know the producers. I'm sure there's a Greek tragedy that I just don't know off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, that that style of, of storytelling exists, you know, beyond Major League. And and it was, you know, we had in the pitch, you know, in those those first like six episodes that we kind of broke, we always knew that Rebecca was going to show this other side of her. And that was based on a, a moment that I had with a woman who I didn't who I thought was a, a little bit of a pill. But then I saw her you know, human in a, in a hotel elevator where she was really, really distraught and, you know, so f- afraid of vulnerability that even when I asked if everything was okay and if you needed anybody to talk to, she still rebuffed me. Um, but I, it always stuck with me as being like, wow, you just, you know, every, every person's life is a, you know, a comedy, a tragedy and a drama. And that's kind of me co-opting a Mark Twain quote for us Midwesterners, you know, you know, um, but, but, but it's true. You know, I mean, now more than ever, you know, although we all have a very similar drama going on in our lives with with a pandemic that, that we're all dealing with. It's just we all might be dealing with it a little differently. And the woman crying in the elevator was Judy Dench. <laughs> wow. Can you believe it? Sir Judy Dench. So what's the story of you guys knowing each other and working together. Wait, someone just knocked on my door. Hold on, I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Great, all right. Uh, I'll start this story. Um, well, from my end, it was, so in Chicago, I was in a uh, improv group called Comedy Sports where we would do improv shows that were structured like, uh, you know, a pseudo competition. You know, we wore baseball pants and there was a scoreboard and a referee. Um, Comedy Sports was a franchise at the time. Uh, it was in various cities uh, across America. Um, and, but the one in Chicago was in this tiny theater called the Turnaround. It was literally on the inside part of a bus turnaround for a CTA. And we had this little patch of grass out back where we would do our warm-ups and, you know, zip zap zops and other, you know, really cool looking things that improvisers do. And um, five minutes before a show one day, a, uh, an 86 Volvo pulls up and, and takes over this tiny patch of grass where the six of us are trying to, you know, warm up for this show. And like, what's going on? And then out of this 86 Volvo come uh, uh this fella um you know much younger and um a uh sideshow bob looking cat named ed goodman um and they immediately put the shirts on that we had they, they had the costumes 
I'm going, what? What's happening? These guys are in the show? Like, maybe someone knew that there was a show that these guys would be joining, but I didn't know they were going to be showing up. And there they were. They get on stage, and uh, we did two shows that night, and these guys were hilarious, like, right away. And they had, we found out later, driven straight from Kansas City starting that morning, I guess, and and then wearily crawled out of that Volvo and got on stage and killed. Good first impression. <laughs> yeah. And at, at what point, I guess, did you guys say like we want to do like a series together like this oh i mean i mean when nbc sports came to me with the idea of doing the commercials once once you know sort of you know a few options were sent uh my direction uh based on stuff i had done on saturday night live and once i knew which one we were going to do and it was all in in the effort to you know promote the premier league on nbc sports to an american audience I knew exactly what to call it. It was Joe and Brendan. And, you know, so the first one we did and it, and it went well and that, and that allowed us to do a second one. And in doing the second one, that sort of popped open this, like, you know, a little bit more of the character, you know, like the, like the, the optimism, you know, before in the first one, he's kind of buffoonish and, you know, you know, um, and it's and it's more like I I, I don't know like I, I, ugly American like we're 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 really more focused on making fun of Americans for the first one than yes making, yeah, yeah. T- taking the piss as as they say yeah. and uh, and then the second one you know it was all about him coming home and frankly you know we were we were ready to go back over to London and they were like oh we don't have that kind of money again this year and it's like okay all right then he's here okay he got hired and fired in three days but he loved it he loved he fell in love with. The beautiful game he fell in love with like the culture and that enthusiasm that optimism you know is is definitely became part of the the dna and part of the spine of the character and then brendan reminded me as we started doing press for this back in august that like uh my partner olivia mentioned it at dinner where she was like hey you should you should think about doing it as a show because she knows she knows you know loves brendan and joe and and you know knew that it was fun for us to do and knew that it that people were you know folks were digging it and I was like, oh, okay. And then it was then it was those questions that just like Brendan said, it was like, okay, but why does he go there? And I just started to talk it out that night at dinner in front of her. And and then it was, it was, it was, it was me saying to Brendan and Joe, hey, come come out to Brooklyn, you know, stay with me. We'll play, you know, pinball at night and go to, you know, good eat good pizza and good hamburgers. But then during the day, we'll we'll try to knock out these three different projects. And we, it and the muses were circling, you know, our our home because we we were quite prolific that week and because we didn't know we thought maybe oh is it an hour and a half movie is it is it is it is it you know is it our version of major league is it this and we came up with a six episode arc for a first season kind of again modeling it after the the british office with like an idea of the final episodes which you know are still still canon as of now i mean it's gonna be hard as shit but it'll be fun to try to pull off no spoilers unfortunately but like um it um yeah and it had legs it had legs we were we were we were tickled pink we kept coming up with storylines and then it sat dormant for what two three years you know joe yeah you were you were doing your stuff you know joe was uh you know creating and um working on this show called detroiters that that i helped uh out with as well with our our friend zach tim and sam uh liv and i had a baby or two you know and and we're doing doing our work uh and then Bill Lawrence stepped up and came in with an idea for a show. He had a, a, this 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 project that he wanted me to you know maybe sign on to, and I read it and it it was fine, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't quite right. But he and I met and hit it off. He he came all the way out to Brooklyn, and after we chatted for a couple hours and sort of talking through that thing, um, 
I was like, well, this, we were like, well, this isn't it. But he's like, if you have anything else. And I was like, well, what about the, we have this Ted Lasso thing. He's like, oh, I love those commercials. And then, you know, like three years after that, here we are talking to Grant Wall. You know I mean? It's like, it's, you know, just because the internet exists doesn't mean showbiz moves any quicker. At least not for, not, not for us. There are so many little details I love in the show. I love that my friend Jonathan Wilson's soccer tactics book, Inverting the Pyramid, makes an appearance in episode one. I, I love the poster of John Wooden's Pyramid of Success in the coach's office. I swear it's been in every high school basketball coach's office in America. Um, I see a bit of John sure. Wooden in, in Ted Lasso. And for me, I also see a little bit of Roy Williams, the old Kansas basketball coach who, who left for North Carolina and, and left everyone in Kansas upset about that. Um, Jason, were there any particular? Not me. Not me. <laughs> I, for, for the record, but no, and and not not like good riddance. I was just like that was yeah. his childhood dream to like. <laughs> I was like, why would you want to stay in a marriage with someone that clearly would rather be with someone else? Like, and, 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 and did history prove me, you know, or him right or wrong? I mean, we got Bill Self, at least if you're a Kansas supporter, and then we won a national championship. You know, It worked out okay that. for everyone. I never totally understood it. And I spent two years in Roy Williams's head, like, because he was angst ridden about the whole thing. But, yeah. but is there any of, of Roy Williams in, 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 from your perspective in your, in Ted Lasso or, or what other coaches are you thinking about? with that well definitely def john wooden was a big one the pyramid of success was something I, that my high school basketball coach donnie campbell uh at shaw mission west he, he used to quote a lot of his stuff um but it wasn't until i moved to chicago and started doing uh improv and more importantly when i started like coaching and teaching it uh after i'd been there for a year that i i taught the pyramid of success to like improv teams like i'd bring in a laminated poster like a freaking pe teacher and with a you know with like a <laughs> wet dry you know dry erase marker and just kind of like go through and be like why is it why does this matter why is why is industriousness and enthusiasm why are they the cornerstones and how does that how does that apply to attacking the stage and, and supporting each other and you know I, it, it just worked beautifully as a metaphor then he has this amazing you know small blue book just called wooden that that had all these great axioms that's the one right there and i used to uh, give to, to prove Jason is, uh, you know, walking the walk here, he gave me this book as a gift. The those you can't see at home is the, it's the John Wooden quotes book. Um, I believe in 2002, Jason, if you want to set me straight. Uh, yo, Brendan, work on that crossover, boy. Oh, it's actually signed John Wooden. So maybe that wasn't you. Yeah. yeah, wasn't you. yeah. He would never plagiarize anyone. I know that. Never, I would never do that. Not since fourth grade when I got busted for it. Plagiarizing a bad signature for, a, you know, bad grades. <laughs> Oh, so dumb. What a dumb fourth grade move. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, you know, Roy, Roy Williams, Coach Williams, I mean, a little bit. I mean, certainly the beginning is, you know, th that's an homage to, you know, that great video of him going into the locker room uh -huh. and dancing with his players. You know, I forget what the specific occurrence was, but that's definitely what Ted, you know, dancing, you know, doing like, you know, early 90s hip hop dancing is modeled after as an homage to. Um, but then coaches like... Uh, you know, Popovich, you know, Kerr, uh, you know, Pete Carroll, anybody that cares about the, and a lot of coaches do, but these are just the ones that, that I was aware of, you know, Jim Harbaugh, you know, that, that care about the, the citizen as well as the athlete, you know, that, that care about the, the whole, the whole person, um, and, and speak on that a lot. 
Um, but then it's also modeled after, you know, mentors of mine outside of athletics, you know, people like Tina Fey or, you know, people that, that, that saw something that see something in you that you don't see in yourself, that maybe your baggage, you know, internal or external baggage gets in the way of like your intuition of what, of what you want to achieve. Um, Brendan, am I, am I blank on any of, any of the other? No, just, um, I mean, Bill Self, I'm not sure we give him the full walk we should, cause obviously you, yeah. you know him well, but, uh, you, you have that one, where was it? that you were hanging out with Bill Self and you saw all the coaches calling each other coach? Oh, that well, no, that was, yeah, that was my, my buddy, Brendan Curran back home who uh, was coaching. Uh, he came out to Las Vegas and I was doing second city there and he let me tag along when they were having a coaching convention. It was a total boondoggle, you know, for high school basketball coaches. And, you know, you have Billy Donovan, you know, teaching a, a fast break and, you know, Rick Pitino <laughs> teaching, uh, you know, like a box and one. And when you go around, it's, it's like a convention and they have every little, you know, they have a ball that's, you know, twice as big. So it improves your ball handling. They have, you know, different, what all these different gadgets and everybody's just calling everybody coach. And so that was the thing <laughs> that, you know, Brendan and I would just do, or just, you know, and it's almost like spies like us, like doctor, 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 just calling me coach. Hey coach, hey coach, coach, what's going on coach? How you doing coach? And they would call me coach. And it was so delightful. I was like, oh, you have no idea. I'm so far from being a coach. <laughs> Brendan, I, I see you wearing your U.S. men's national team jersey. Behind you, you've got the famous 1950 World Cup poster, which I have on my New York City apartment wall as well. Uh, so you're clearly a, a soccer guy. Um, I know you've lived for quite a while in Amsterdam at one point. Like, did that have an impact on your soccer interest? And if so, in, in what way? Massively. Um because I wasn't particularly into soccer at all until I moved to Amsterdam. Um, I had, uh, I had, like, I, I was aware that the Chicago Sting existed, but I never saw a game. Um, I, uh, I watched the 1994 World Cup a little bit because it was an event and you were supposed to. But, like, even when the U.S. won that game against Colombia with the own goal, you know, the own goal, everyone's sort of celebrating like crazy. And me, still a soccer novice, was like, why, why are we celebrating? We didn't, we didn't score that. That was the other <laughs> The other team scored that, guys. This is cheap. Um, and then watched a little bit more in 98. Watched the 98 World Cup because I was working at a restaurant in Chicago called Dublin's where I was on the day shift. And, um, you know, so there's not that many people there. And that's exactly when they were showing, you know, all the, all the big games and, like, kind of got drawn to Holland a little bit and um, um, felt horrible for them when they, when they lost to Brazil. And then when France won, uh, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was a win that was predicted by you in the page of Sports Illustrated. Jesus. Um, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I read that. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. I know who to truck with Grant. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I, I don't rely on 5g. All right. I don't rely on your Wi-Fi. I, I roll around, I roll around with Brendan hunt. All right. <laughs> and I remember that specifically not cause I was seeking it out, but because I was reading sports illustrated a lot at the time, I was like, Oh, the world cup is coming up. And, um, and seeing that you had predicted France, you know, not knowing that they had just done well in 96 or anything, because I didn't know anything about European stuff. In fact, I didn't even think of the French as athletes at all. Like it just wasn't in my, in my universe and like France, whatever. And then when France beats Brazil, first of all, that article goes in my head. And then secondly, you know, just on state street in Chicago on a Sunday afternoon, suddenly there's 10 French people with one French flag, just stopping traffic on state street. And even though it was only 10 people, I was like, what is that? Well, this is, this is a big, this is big, isn't it? And then I moved to Amsterdam and, you know, I was a huge fan of all the Chicago pro sports, but there was no, um, you know, there was no streaming. You couldn't just get up and, and watch whatever. So, and Michael Jordan just retired. So I was dealing with a lot, Grant. Um, 
and it's kind of gravitated towards soccer pretty naturally because of the sports-shaped hole. And on top of that, Holland hosted Euro 2000, and I lived with eight Dutch dudes um, who had gone to college together, and they built bleachers in our living room. And uh, we had like a little mini Euro 2000 stadium going on in our wow. apartment above the McDonald's on the Lydes Strat. And uh, and that was that was impactful. And here we are. Yeah. And so and so then when I when I go when I finally get over there, I, I I pull some some like Harold Hill like right out of the Music Man shenanigans and get everybody to chip in twenty guilders so that we can buy a PlayStation for the for the green room, for the sole purpose that I could play Tony Hawk Pro Skater. All right. But then I also I I, I snake 20, 20 guilders from so many folks that I had I had money to blow. I didn't want to pocket it. That would be that'd be that's illegal. That's bad. That's bad karma. So I bought FIFA 2001, I'm guessing, because this was, you know, fall of 2000. And and the main the two main teams at the, on the menus, at least in the in the, you know, the the PAL version were uh, Man U and Arsenal. Brendan at that point was, you know, you know, eyes deep in Arsenal. And I was like, oh, I've heard of David Beckham you know, like, and just did that. And so we would play and the game was a little less complicated then than it is, you know, now. Um, and, and Brendan would explain to me like tactics in the game and like players and use, you know, allusions towards, you know, like the nineties bulls or various things. And that's literally where we sort of developed not as comedy, but just like a, a shorthand of how to explain the unexplainable to someone that, you know, and it's all stuff that we say. Oh, if you take some, I say, you know, and and I and that I don't know, and I and I attach it to something I do know. Now I know it, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and that's that's what the you know so fifty percent of the gags in the first commercial are, and it yeah, makes the it makes that world from, easy to bring people into. Sorry, Brandon, go ahead. The flashcards bit from the first commercial is directly, you know, nearly from those conversations we were having around, you know, that PlayStation back in the day. Like, okay, well, this is Arsenal. They kind of. They're kind of like Showtime. You're kind of like Showtime Lakers. <laughs> Got it. And, you know, off he goes. Um, also, uh, Grant, so, you know, John O'Brien, and I hope you're, uh, you're listening yeah. to too, um, stalwart of the U.S. national team, uh, scorer of the first goal in the 2002 World Cup for the U.S., but he was at Ajax at the time and mm-hmm. um, uh, didn't really know him when Jason was there, but right as Jason was leaving, met John O'Brien and met him, I don't know if you'll remember this, Jason, but entirely because of you. So there was this one bar in the red light district where we would watch NFL games. It's the only place in town you could do it. And it was the weekend, I think, of the NFC championship game where the Giants beat the Vikings like 40 to nothing or something. And we were vaguely aware of who John O'Brien was. You know, he'd had his great Olympics uh, Mm -hmm. just a little bit before. Yeah. And... And like, we're the, oh my gosh, that's a John O'Brien. That's John O'Brien. He plays for Ajax, guys. Let's not bother him. (laughs) And then at one point, Jason comes up to me. was it? Uh... That O'Brien guy, he's playing pool, and uh, I put quarters down on the table. So uh, we're up next. Get ready. Um, so we play, <laughs> we play pool uh, with John O'Brien. He turns out to be awesome. Still friends with John O'Brien twenty years later. But uh, going to all the Ajax games that John O'Brien would, you know, would uh, would get me going to, and talking to, talking about soccer with him, and going to the World Cup that he was playing in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's all from Jason as well. Okay, it's very from the cool. From the quarters, man. John O'Brien, man, was such a good player, especially in that O2 World Cup, but for Ajax for a while, and then just the injuries were such a frustration for for him and his career. But um, really good dude. He was that's, very that's... helpful to us with 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 versimilitude. That's a big part of uh, for the show. You know, we I'm always asking Brendan, what is the real? Like, what is you know? Because much like Beard, you know, Brendan has this encyclopedic knowledge 
at his fingertips. And, and when we didn't, and you're talking about the culture, then we would check in with O'Brien, you know, and through the years after the commercials, like we were lucky to, you know, be able to ask, you know, you know, Steve Nash or, 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 you know, Stu or, or, you know, Henri, you know, and mm-hmm. like sort of check in with, with people that had, had sparked to the commercials. Um, and that, that net got wider and wider, but John, John, someone that we always, we, we, um, we leaned on in like a, um, you know, he was our, our deep throat, you know, he, <laughs> he, he, he could go to and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be sure to get him a Jersey at some point. And to the issue of like knowing what's real and then whether or not to go against it. Like the, one of the first things was, okay, all right, he's an American coach and he's just being flying out here to do this. Would that actually happen? Okay. Well, first you'd have to get his UEFA coaching licenses. Okay. We're not going to do that. Yep. Yeah. Nope. I'm going to do that. That doesn't sound funny at all. Yeah. <laughs> so then we like, take our liberties where necessary. Yeah. I mean, guys, I laugh a lot watching this show, but it also takes me to some places of real feeling that, honestly, I wasn't expecting to go to at all. And I, I'm wondering, like, how big of a risk is it on your side to try and do that with a comedy show that you're putting out there? I mean, if it's if it's not scary, like, why why do it? I Like it doesn't feel scary to do it because it's rooted in all the movies that we loved. I mean, do you not cry at Rudy or do you not give a damn about when Norman Dale says, I love you guys during Hoosiers? Do you not care when, you know, the complex, awesome female characters that Ron Shelton would write, you know, as Rosie Perez or Renee Russo, you know, in, in all of his, you know, Susan Sarandon's character in, in Bull Durham, for goodness sakes. Like, it's about the humanity of these people. It's, it's, it's why we love the Olympics, I think, because you get, to, you get to, you know, see those video packages and you go home and you see where, you know, the brother and sister practice curling, you know, in Minnesota. I forget where, where they're from. Uh, but, you know, and it's, I think that's the, the neatest stuff. When we pitched the show, you know, I was like, I would tell people it's as much about soccer as Rocky is about boxing. You know, it's set there, but it's not about that. You don't see people pretending to do the, the, the boxing scenes in Rocky. You see them maybe punching meat, you know, but you see them running up steps and enjoy a celebration when they reach the top. You, you hear them yelling for the love of their life after they accomplish something that they never thought they would do. And they don't even do anything. They just went the distance. They didn't even win. That's, I mean, that's, that's hot shit. I mean, that's, you know, so, you know, it would be inauthentic for us as guys, as the people, you know, us, you know, that did the commercials, but anybody at the, at the show that, that, that wrote these things or anybody that's portraying them as the actors to only deliver, you know, four out of the full trivial pursuit pie pieces. You know, we want to hit all, we want to hit them all, man. Like it's, Cause that's the human experience. It's like, we, you don't need bullshit artifice and, and conflict, external conflict. Cause there's so much going on in any one of us at any given time that yeah, to deny that would be, you know, playing with a flat ball. One thing I find interesting is, is that I'm friends with a lot of soccer hardcores and, and I will say this, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. I didn't watch my first episode of the show until after all 10 episodes were out there. So it was a little while. And then I watched all 10 episodes in one weekend because it was the FIFA international break and there weren't any club soccer games on. And I was like, I was just like, boom, I love this. This is awesome. And I was not the only soccer hardcore who did that. Like there were a lot of my friends who like that weekend in October, early October saw this 
and loved it. And, and like, it's interesting to me, I guess, that some of my friends who loved it the most early were not soccer hardcores and, and in some cases weren't even that big of sports fans. Um, did you guys have any concern that soccer hardcore fans might have a harder time embracing the show or, or were you hopeful about that? A little bit because, you know, uh, Grant, I mean, tell me if you found this in your, in your days, especially on Twitter, but you know, uh, soccer fans are, um, you know, really gatekeepery, you know, like, um, there's a yep. lot of, there's, I, I knew that anything we got wrong, uh, would be immediately attacked and harped on, um, in, in soccer, uh, circles. And, you know, some of that has been, and, uh, and some of that we fixed, um, through the power of technology, shout out to our uh, <laughs> editing staff. Um, yep. so it is extra heartening when guys like you, you know, Alexi Lawless, Jurgen Klopp, um, you know, throw out their support for it, uh, publicly. Um, yeah, you know, Gary Lineker, you know, like, Lineker, like oh, that was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, because because again we it wouldn't be here unless the soccer community would have supported those, those first commercials and the, and and we were trying to hit the venn diagram of doing the job we were hired to do is a commercial but we also wanted to keep our comedy cred and we wanted you know soccer folks to dig it because we have love for it you know like my my love at that point was was mostly through my love of of brendan and my love of his enthusiasm for for stuff and but i was never glib about it you know, it was never like, ah, don't, who can, it is BS, don't, don't, who cares? It was like, no, you do, therefore I do. And, and, and Joe was the perfect, like, middleman of knowing a little bit about both, you know, a little, a little bit about both, but then having a fun, healthy amount of cynicism that, you know, we would just beat out of him with, with jokes and, and love. And, and he would happily fold time and time again. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was super important to us. And we always, we call these, we call some jokes two percenters that are just, you know, only there for the soccer fans, like for them. And they're, they're, we call them, they're like usually downbeats, you know, um, you know, there's one about Harry Redknapp, you know, there's one about, you know, the different, you know, the, the, the women in football. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, there's, there's tons of them in there. And we do those purposefully as like little Easter eggs because we wouldn't be here without their support. No way, no way, no Jose. To that end, I mean, well, first of all, Grant, just, you know, this is the first time Jason's ever said he loved me, so this is a big thing in your podcast right now, and I'm going to try to describe it. Secondly, um, one of the did big I, pushes... I don't think it was that direct. I think it was more like, uh, did you, I love... You got closer than you've ever gotten, and uh, uh, we'll uh, talk. Uh, but when we, when we shot the second weird, commercial, right? you know, Tim Howard was there with us, and um, and we asked if he'd ever seen the videos before, and he, was he like, laughed at us because it was such a dumb question. He was like, yes, of course, thousands of times, thousands of times. We, we watch him in the locker room. And yeah. that was a big moment. I was like, wait, wait a minute. Premier League players are watching these in Premier League changing rooms. <laughs> yeah. what, what does this mean? And we want to still honor that. Yeah, that like rock stars are watching your SNL skits and their, their touring bus. You're like, when I found out Jack White loved this sketch I did called Main Justice, I was like, holy smokes, we have arrived. <laughs> but me and my buddy John Glazer were at the U.S. Open, you know, in, in Queens, and I look down the row and I see Henri and Tony Parker, who, you know, you know, unathletic Frenchies. So says Brendan, uh, being like, <laughs> it was back in the day, man, everything's back changed. In the day. Yeah. Just, you know, I get you just wine drinking, you know, just, you know, beret, you know, I get oh. freedom fries, all that. And so I look down, I look down the row 
and 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 John's to my right, and I look down, and they're waving at me like 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 I went to grade school with them. And I'm like, yo, why are they waving at me? Didn't even hit me. Didn't even hit me. We get up, you know, in between sets or whatever, and we're grabbing like you know food, and they both come up and they're fanboying on me on about Ted Lasso. You know, I, I met I met Steve Nash in a in a Parisian hotel when I when I was there right after doing press for Horrible Bosses, and I and I just went up and introduced myself, thinking. Um, Oh, we're gonna hit it off. We're in France. We're in Paris. I mean, I have mad love for that dude. That that the way that guy plays, the way he carries himself, just uh, soup to nuts. And he, I'm just like, hey, my name is Jason Sudeikis. I'm, uh, we have a mutual friend, Owen Wilson. He goes, oh yeah, hey, nice to meet you. Nothing. Blank me. I was like, oh, um, that's okay. Oh well, ah, that's all right. I'll go back over over to my my corner booth. And then cut to Liv and I are, are at uh, a Jay Z concert, and we're at the Staples Center. And like I just get done going to the bathroom, and I'm out waiting for her to come out of the ladies' room, and I get a tap on my shoulder, and it's Steve Nash. Like two years later, going, "Hey, man, I'm Steve Nash." Ted Lasso. I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" You know, and and those are just the famous folks. But so, you know, that it it it's been. If I'm walking around New York with a mustache, uh, you know, prior to even the show coming out. If someone has a, any sort of European accent or, or British accent, it's it's a crapshoot of whether they're going to say anything that I've got to do in my you know movies or TV or Ted Lasso. It's like 50-50. and I've done like forty other things, but fifty percent of the time it's Ted Lasso. <laughs> Kick it! Like all right. <laughs> like, so I mean, it's really weird to have done this show and none of us are allowed out of the friggin' house. You know, I went to go pick up hamburgers for a friend. Or for my family, like at this at this joint here in Silver Lake called Burgers Never Say Die, and the second like just guys in the, in the in the kitchen were like, Ted Lasso. I was like, Oh wow, <laughs> for God, it's on television. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's nuts. Oh shoot, we're we're winding down here. Uh, I had Arlo White on the show a couple weeks ago, and yes. and Arlo told me about interviewing Jurgen Klopp recently. And the first thing Klopp says to him is you were great in Ted Lasso. <laughs> and which is kind of awesome because Jurgen's a good dude, but you, you never know if someone of that stature is, you know, in the game is really busy is watching this stuff. And, and he was, um, obviously a lot of people care about this show now. Like, and now that you, ha you know, you have two more seasons. Do you know where you want to go? With Ted Lasso. Yes. We knew where we were going before. I mean, if we had the opportunity. Like I yeah, it was it was always sort of predetermined in the big picture. You know, I mean I, I use this quote a lot because I think it's a badass quote, but but it, you know, Quincy Jones evidently used to say to Michael Jackson that you gotta leave space for God to walk into the room, you know, leave leave a little room for magic to happen. And that happens with our writing staff. That happens with with you know every every department. That happens with the actors, you know. And and I believe it it you need to allow the audience to lean in. You can't just spoon feed it to them and give them exactly what it is. So it's we know the chords, but as far as like the solos and what we, and how we go about getting there. But yeah, it's it's we we know exactly where it's going. Um, you know, at least yeah, hundred um, percent. But how we go about getting there is 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 still a, a, a joyful journey. I will say this thing about the the about the you know the um the soccer hardcores as a guy who has worked at a place very fortunately like SNL that has been satirized on 30 rock and even you know deified on studio 60 it is a hard thing to watch something that you love you know and and it's a little bit like a postman's holiday of of oh they're going to get they're going to get it wrong they're going to get it wrong and um we honor that we we under, we understand that but but we wanted to make sure 
that the stuff that we got right, we got real right. And that that's that's out of respect towards again dancing with the one that brung us. Um, but but I do I do empathize with them. You know, whenever I see a, a show about Hollywood or 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 you know, I've heard, I've heard the joke. And you know, I mean, you I'm sure you have too, Grant. You're not in Kansas anymore. It's like hey, that's not where I grew up. We have streetlights. So, you know, I've never walked on a picket fence in my life. You know, like I've heard tornado sirens. I've never my house. Luckily, you know. Uh, never, never been caught up in in in, in that situation. Um, known plenty of Mrs. Gulches, though. Good lord. Yep. Horrible screws in that in that in that play. <laughs> yeah. So we're not getting everything right, but we are we are not coming from a place of like soccer's is going to be some place of yucks that we're gonna you know run around in a, in a pig pen and throw mud around like we. Yeah, we like they did it. on Cheers, where they just stuck it in a bar and no one gave a damn about. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we love it and like. Yeah, I, I believe Jonathan Wilson or uh, someone on this podcast was like, oh, your book, Jonathan, I bet they just picked some, they sent a PA out and just picked some random book. Like, no, that book has been in the script since we met in Brooklyn in 2015. Nice. There is the, the amount of intentionality in that is, 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 in, is intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring it home, bro. Not bad, right? Quotable <laughs> as hell. <laughs> Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt star in Ted Lasso. You can see all 10 episodes of season one on Apple TV+. Guys, congratulations on what you've done here, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, it means the world to, to be asked to, you know, and thank you for the thoughtful questions. And, yeah, no, we, the, when, when, when it came across, Brendan and I, you know, I mean, it's so flattering that, that people give uh, it on. Hey, Jason, we, we, uh, thought, we, thought, we got to do this one, bro. We we got to do this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that's what that's what it was. So that that's 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 all love there. So it's it's a two way street. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.